Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,206 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing a series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week four of a nine-week series titled, What Does God Want? This series reveals that God desires us to be part of His family as His image bearers. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Do thank you for being here again today as we continue our series with the overall theme, which is to answer the question, what does God want? And the answer we discovered this past month was that God wants you. And God wants every person who will ever live. In other words, as we've gone over, God wants a human family. God wants co-workers to help him to take care of the creation that he created specifically for us. He loves you and the desires that you also love him. And last week's message, we showed that God joined his human family. And when God joined his human family, we saw that all covenants from the Old Testament were fulfilled. We saw that all rebellions were overcome and all covenants or all death was extinguished. Because of the resurrection, our distance between us and God was completely bridged. And today we'll explore how God pursues his family. Now I'm going to go through a lot of Old Testament and New Testament scriptures today. And I like to think of it as this basket. Now my sister-in-law, Ann, is a master basket weaver. She makes baskets of all size. She generally gives us one around Christmas time, but she's made us some beautiful baskets and we've seen those that she takes to shows. But if you looked at each individual strip of wood, it wouldn't be all that impressive and you wouldn't get the full picture of what this beautiful basket would become. But as she weaves the baskets together, the wood together into the basket, then you can see the beauty of the creation that she's made. And today, as we take at scripture, we just pull out one scripture at a time and say, this is what God says. We might miss the bigger picture of what this basket, or in this, referring to scripture, what it means. So I'm going to tie a lot of scriptures together today to give us a bigger picture of why God pursued his, whole, pursued his family with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And as I noted in the last message, the coming of the Holy Spirit fulfilled a new covenant that was described in Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me read the verses from Ezekiel 36 verses 25 through 27. <clears throat> then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and put and will put in you a new, a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you may follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. <clears throat> the spirit's ministry in each believer makes victory over our own depravity possible. Without that spirit in us, we'd be at a constant conflict with the depravity that exists in us. But think of it as a slap to the face of those fallen sons of God. Even more so, it was a direct attack on some other set of supernatural villains. The Spirit's arrival launched an infiltration campaign against the sons of God 
who he assigned over the nations when he divorced them at Babel, saying, I've had enough. You've chosen not to follow me after all I've done for you. Immediately after, or not immediately after, but after Noah's flood, we see the people multiply, and they were supposed to populate the entire earth, but they all gathered together in one place and started to build a tower to their selves. And God says, I'm divorcing you now. It's described in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 8, when the Most High assigned the lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the people according to the numbers of his heavenly court. And some translation says, according to the number of the sons of God, the supernatural beings that he assigned over these nations then defected from God and serving him and became corrupt, abusing the people that were under their dominion. We read this in Psalm 82, and I'll read that a little bit later in our message. Jesus knew all that, knew what would happen, but we habitually miss the point of what the New Testament books that come after the resurrection, that is, Acts through Revelation, and how they tie in even back to this incident in Babel when God separated the nations. When the Holy Spirit came, it was the beginning of the end for these sons of God who had rejected God and decided to rule in their own manner. Jesus' departure put the coming of the Spirit in motion. John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Also in John 15, 26, But I will send the Advocate, the Spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. John 16, chapter, verse 7, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I, do, if, because if I don't, the Advocate won't come. But if I do go away, I will send him to you. And finally, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as the Father had promised. Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. And we see the resurrected Christ right before he left, Right before he ascended back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what he told his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you keep reading in the book of Acts, even the next three verses is when Christ ascends to heaven, and these two angelic beings come down, and stand beside the disciples and say, why are you looking up in heaven? The same way that Jesus went up, he'll return. And in essence, he was saying, get about your work. God has a job for you to do now, a mission for you. If you look at your bulletin insert on the side, it says, what does God want? We see that God today pursued his human family. And the coming of the Spirit was the beginning of the end. And I read John chapter 14, verse 26. So follow me on Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And it tells of this event. On the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And if you look at that picture on that side of your bulletin insert, you'll see 
Those gathered together in that upper room in tongues or flames of fire settled on them. And you'll notice that so not only men, but there was women that were indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And it says the whole group started speaking in other languages. Now, the rest of the account tells us that Holy Spirit enabled those followers of Jesus to speak in all sorts of languages. They were telling the story of Jesus, his death and resurrection to Jews from all over the world. Now, Jews were the name that was given to those Israelites that were exiled to these foreign lands several hundred years prior to this, seven, between six and seven hundred years prior to this. They had been scattered through all, throughout the entire world by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians, especially the ten northern tribes who were assimilated into all the countries that Assyrians had captured. They were scattered back in those times of exile. So the Jews who heard these preaching from these Jesus followers now in their own language were the descendants of those Old Testament saints, those Old Testament Israelites. They had come to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast, one of the Old Testament rituals on the Old Testament religious calendar. An interesting point is the listing of the nations that are listed there in Acts chapter 2. It's the same listing as Noah's descendants before the time of Babel. The exact same amount of countries, given some different names due to the difference in times, but they were the same nations that were separated at the Tower of Babel. To follow along, or listen as I read Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee. And you'd think of Galilee, those were the hill country where the hicks come from. They could barely speak Hebrew, let alone other languages. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, or Pontus, from the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear the people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God had done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But some within the crowd which were in Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem were saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Now, the people in Jerusalem that knew these disciples could not grasp that they could speak in other languages, especially in multiple languages from all these nations that were around them. They just couldn't grasp it. They thought it was a, just a public display of drunkenness. It just wasn't possible. These hicks from the hill country of Galilee could ever speak in other languages. But then the apostle Peter laid it out for all for them. But honestly, he did more than that. He really let them have it. In Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 24, which follows, quite an extended passage, but it ties in so well with what we need to grasp today. It says, Then Peter stepped forward with the other eleven apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. <laughs> no, it's nine o'clock in the morning, and that's much too early to be drunk. 
No, what you see was preached long ago by the prophet Joel. And if you want the reference from Joel, it's Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And in this quote from Joel, it talks about the last days. But the last day was referring to the day that Peter was preaching, not some far off prophetic statement of when Christ returns. He was speaking of this very moment. And it goes on. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit on even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in heaven above and signs on earth before blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you all well know. But God knew what would happen, and he prearranged, his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed, and that was betrayed by one of his own apostles, Judas. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Now, Peter was telling them what they were seeing with their own eyes and hearing with their own ears was a miracle caused by the arrival of the Holy Spirit of God. And God told them that he would send a spirit, and this is what had happened. The Messiah had come. He had been killed, but he rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven, and they needed to believe this. And the result of Peter's explanation was stunning. As we read in verse 41 of chapter 2, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Because of that simple message that Peter preached that day, 3,000 Jews from all these countries all around that were in Jerusalem heard them in their own language, and they believed they put their faith in Christ. And this is usually the point in the story where the preacher moves on or backwards and talks about the cross. And that's all well and good since the cross and the resurrection and ascension were led to this very moment when the Holy Spirit came. But again, we're missing something very significant about the story if we don't grasp what the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming and the salvation it brought to these Jews really meant. Because what we have here is a supernatural infiltration from the Holy Spirit. So remember, in Acts chapter 2, it was about the coming of the Spirit. The arrival of the Spirit was a crucial element of this new covenant, a new set of promises that God was giving to humanity through Jesus Christ. But many Christians didn't realize that it also meant that God started a spiritual war to reclaim not only the Jews that were scattered among the nations, but also to bring back those Gentile nations that he had divorced at Babel the people from those lands. God was pursuing his family. And it didn't matter where his children lived. It didn't matter whether they were Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, male or female. He was pursuing a family, and he would find them. And the passage we read in Acts chapter 2 tells us that the Spirit came in wind and fire. Now, fire or burning smoke are, are common elements and visions of God in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 13 or Ezekiel chapter 1. And God at times came in a whirlwind. Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 1, Job chapter 38, and Job chapter 40. 
Jews who heard Peter's message and saw the coming of the Spirit knew with their own eyes and their own ears that the day of salvation had finally come. This was the Messiah. And think about what happened in this scene. 3,000 Jews living abroad in nations where their ancestors had been scattered to the far corners of the world of that day had come back to Jerusalem for this religious feast day. They witnessed the coming of the Spirit and heard about Jesus, the Messiah, and what he had done. And because of their witness and what they heard, they believed in Jesus. They became Christians. They became Christ followers. And what do you suppose happened next? Did they just congregate in Jerusalem and say, man, this is a good place. We'll just stay here. No, they went back to their home countries. And why does that matter? Because those lost, divorced nations had 3,000 evangelists planted in them right now. They had secret agents embedded in hostile territory held by those other gods from the Babel incident. Now, when I speak of other gods, I'm speaking of little g-gods, not the one true God, but those who had ruled the nations. They would be God's initial means of multiplying the size of his human family. 3,000 instantly, as they went back to their nations, all of a sudden, this explosion of witness went throughout the entire world. This was the first wave. And what was their mission? It was the same mission that Jesus gave to his disciples called the Great Commission. Christians know well those verses in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But just reading those two verses, we missed something because I didn't read verse 18 before that. And we overlook that when we talk about our evangelization missions. So here's a complete statement with that preamble from Jesus about the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So did you catch that? Jesus has all authority, both in heaven and also on earth. Now, the authority in heaven part, at this point, he's been resurrected and ascended to heaven. It's pretty easy to understand at this, bit, this point in time. Because Jesus set, ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So we say, yeah, he has authority. And that's told in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, and Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. But what does the part authority on earth means? And it's easily missed. Because he, his ascension had to naturally follow his resurrection. And it marked the end of the authority of those who had ruled over the nations up to this point. Who were those? Those were those fallen sons of God that God had pointed over the nations when he divorced them at Babel, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. In essence, God was saying through Jesus Christ that you sons of God, that I allowed you to rule the nations, your time has come. You have no business being here now because Christ fulfilled every promise Every, covered every rebellion and covered death in the Old Testament. The implications is that Jesus, the resurrection and Jesus returned to heaven meant that the authority that these rebel sons of God had over the nations 
was now null and void. They no longer had a legitimate domain over the people of those nations. Salvation was not just for the Israelites, the Jews, even though the Messiah came and was a descendant from Abraham and David, as we read last week, where we become an heir with Abraham. We are included in Abraham's family. Jesus was the Messiah for everyone. He was the rightful Lord and King over every nation. The resurrection, the ascension, the coming of the Spirit marked the beginning of the end to those who ruled those Gentile nations. They had lost their legitimacy. The New Testament associates the resurrection and ascension with the defeating of the supernatural powers of darkness. And this concept is summarized in Paul's letter to a Gentile church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you are raised to new life because you, were, you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sin and because of your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And verse 15 is crucial. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them in public by his victory over them on the cross. Now recall, when Paul refers to the rulers and authorities, those terms he used for those supernatural fallen sons of God who had become evil and led the nations astray in the Old Testament times. Now there's several examples of this. Romans 8, 38, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, 6, Colossians chapter 1, but one I think describes it best, at least in my own mind, is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through, 10 through 12. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand against, firm against the strategies of the devils and the evil one. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against the mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I have this coin in my pocket. My son Barnabas gave this to me one year because one of his mentors, when he first started in the hospitality industry, gave him one just like this. And it has this verse on the back of it about putting on the armor of God. And every morning... I take this from my dresser and put it in my pants pocket to remind me that today I need to put on God's armor if I'm going to withstand against those forces of evil that would like to trip me up and would like me to see me defeated and shamed in front of others. That power, that armor of God is necessary to put on every day. Those rulers and authority is a favorite expression of the Apostle Paul to describe those defeated powers of the darkness. Three more examples in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Now Christ has got, gone to heaven. He is seated at the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers except his authority. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come or also in the unseen realm. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24, after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom, of God, kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. 
Jesus Christ was victory over those who would turn the nations away from him. Now, Paul saw the resurrection and the ascension as the beginning of the end for those fallen sons of God that were allotted to the nations at Babel. So it's no surprise that he linked the Old Testament back to the salvation of the Gentiles, to those people of those forsaken nations. The resurrection of Jesus and the Spirit would release the Gentiles from those dark powers that enslaved them. And as I read three weeks ago from Psalm chapter 82, this is a Psalm of Asaph. Remember, verses 1 and 8 is Asaph speaking. The core of it, though, is God speaking. So follow along again as I read. God presides over heaven's courts. He pronounced judgment on the heavenly beings. And then God speaks. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give justice to the poor and the orphans. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander around in darkness while the whole world is shaken to its core. I say, you are gods. You are all children of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Then Asaph concludes this passage. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all nations belong to you. We see God was condemning these fallen sons of God because they treated people wrongly. And it gives us pause, just like the Gospel Mission Food Pantry serves those that just need a little extra help. It's our responsibility, our obligation to help those who are in need of help and not to oppress those that we have an opportunity to lift out of oppression. Recall that God had appeared to Abraham right after dividing the nations of Babel. He told Abraham that all those nations that he was separating at Babel one day would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. Paul the apostle to the Gentiles knew that this promise well as he wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to his promises that he made to his ancestors. His ancestors were Abraham and Moses and David. But he also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. And this is why the, what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. But Paul wasn't done yet. He found he was fond of quoting the Old Testament scriptures throughout his letters. If you really study Paul's letters, he brings in a lot of the Old Testament passages back in, showing that God wasn't just the God of Israel. He was the God to all nations. He wanted a family, and he wanted the Gentiles included in that family. Paul knew that Messiah was called the root of, from the root of Jesse in the Old Testament, but Jesse was the father of King David. But in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, it says, In that day, the heir of David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally around him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Now, Paul knew that these forsaken nations would one day worship the one true God. Yeah, we call these little gods, but there's only one true God, one true Yahweh of all. And Paul knew this of those forsaken nations. And also in Psalm chapter 117, verse 1, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all people on the earth. Now, if you look at your bulletin insert on the other side, we see that by the Holy Spirit coming, it was a supernatural infiltration. It was the beginning of God's kingdom on earth 
to overtake the entire world. And I listed there the Great Commission, including verse 18, where Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth. We see the map there where all these countries, representatives for these countries came to Jerusalem, were saved, and went back to those countries to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, to build God's kingdom. The program, the spiritual warfare campaign, was launched when that spirit came at Pentecost. And 3,000 people believed in Jesus. Those new believers went back to their home countries. The gospel of Jesus infiltrated the nations that were under the dominion of those hostile supernatural powers. And the Bible refers to this as the growth of the kingdom of God. When they were separated and went into exile by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they were immigrants into those countries. And we think about the immigrants into our country, and so many of us come from immigrant backgrounds. Those new believers, now Christ allowed the Holy Spirit to have dominion and victory over those supernatural powers. The Bible refers to this as the kingdom of God. One representative, something that would represent that we're citizens of God's kingdom is if we have a passport, or citizens of the United States is if we have a passport. And we could go to any country and say, this proves that I'm a citizen of the United States by my passport. The Holy Spirit was God's passport for these new believers to say, it proves I have the Holy Spirit in me. It proves that I am a citizen of God's kingdom. And now they were responsible to taking those other immigrants from those other countries, those that were divorced by God at Babel, but then brought back in. Those immigrants can receive the Holy Spirit. They can receive the passport that allows them to become part of God's family, to be part of the kingdom of God. And that's how the kingdom of God grow, grew at that point and continues to grow today. The kingdom of the evil ones is diminishing as the kingdom of God expands throughout the world. God's kingdom now permeates every tribe and every nation known on earth. And it consists of billions of citizens that have the Holy Spirit, the passport, proving that they are part of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is, therefore, already here in some sense, but not yet complete in another sense. Not a moment goes by, though, that God stops pursuing his children that he loves and wants into his kingdom. His unseen hand is everywhere, in every circumstance, influencing and empowering his children to have the power to grow his family, to tell others of Christ. One day, God's plan will reach its peak. It'll come full circle from that little garden in Eden with Adam and Eve. What was their command? Be fruitful and multiply and spread this Garden of Eden throughout the entire world. Well, when Christ returns the second time, when he comes back to earth, he will have to defeat the evil that's in here on earth, but then he will establish his global Eden. He will spread his kingdom throughout the entire world. And what will be our responsibility? Back to the original Eden, to tend to the creation that he made specifically for us. And that's when the marriage supper of the Lamb will be consummated. With the church worldwide, we will become the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, but it will be consummated when Christ returns to establish that global Eden. And once again, the heaven and earth will become one. 
and we will share the glory with those in the supernatural, the unseen realm, and those that have been part of the earthly realm. And we see how God put his plan into motion, his plan that God pursued his family through the Holy Spirit, allows the kingdom of God proliferate through the entire world, which already has infiltrated every tribe and every nation in the world. And next week, we will see that the kingdom is already here, but not yet complete. Because not everyone has been brought in as an immigrant, given a passport of the Holy Spirit to become part of the kingdom of God. And that's why God tarries for sending Christ back to earth, is because there's still more immigrants to come into his kingdom, to receive that passport of the Holy Spirit. God, next week we'll look at, is with his family forever. So I'd encourage you to read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, in preparation for next week's message, is God will be with his family forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that because of the coming of the Holy Spirit that you sent to us, Father, once Jesus ascended back and took his rightful place at your right hand to rule and reign over the heavenly realm and the earthly realm, we thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to indwell within each of us, that now we, who were once immigrants in a hostile territory, have become part of the kingdom of God. And it's our responsibility, Father, to tell others, other immigrants on this world, that they too can receive that passport of the Holy Spirit and become members, citizens of God's kingdom. Help us to be faithful in our duties to do so, Father, to love one another, to share with one another, to encourage one another, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly. Love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.